Hello and welcome to episode one of the Utopia podcast. I'm your host, Eden Anaya. Uh, this is episode one of a podcast series that's going to com- cover some of our collective cannabis knowledge, as well as some new cannabis news and cannabis trends going on. Um, this episode is an introduction or basics to dabbing. We're going to discuss the current dabbing trends, some backstory and definitions of current dabbing terminology, and an evolution of dab apparatus on a brief history of heady glass. Uh, first, a little bit about Utopia. Uh, we're a vertically integrated California licensed brand. We have roots in the California pre-recreational era. Um, I'm Eden Anaya. I'm going to be your host. Um, I'm the chief product officer for Utopia. I've been extracting cannabis for about eight years and a cannabis enthusiast and connoisseur for like roughly 15 years. Um, if you're wondering like a little bit about me, like who's this guy talking about the, um, you know, and why, why should I care about listening to him? Um, you know, I've been, uh, doing cannabis extraction, like I mentioned for eight years. Um, I started in about 2012 and, uh, back then, um, you know, I was just doing kind of open blasting in a glass tube, just kind of like a lot of people, um, you know, extraction was kind of just getting, you know, it, it had been done for many years, like hydrocarbon extraction, the way that we were doing, which was just using like butane to run over, um, you know, product that was stuffed into like a little canister, like a little stainless steel turkey baster or like a glass tube or something. And then you'd cover the end with um, like a little bit of uh, um, filter paper, like some coffee filter paper. And then some people would just use a lot of rubber bands, like a hundred rubber bands. You know, I used to use zip ties, but um, people have been doing stuff like that at least since like, you know, the seventies was the first that I really heard of it. The, the, the guy that actually introduced me to dabbing, um, he started doing it in the seventies, but it was very unpure. <laughs> they were using like Ronson's butane, like lighter fluid and, um, you know, just really, you know, dumping it over there. And it, it was not a good product, um, back then, not really healthy or safe. Um, not that what I was making back in 2012 was too safe either. But um, that process was uh, a little bit more refined and, you know, the knowledge then had just kind of started spreading. Um, The knowledge had just kind of started spreading. So uh, it had just become like a little bit more common practice. And as that, you know, happened, you know, people started getting more and more into it. And, um, you know, from there, I started doing some trade shows. Um, You know, I ended up actually meeting Utopia through a trade show. Um, you know, we, we started discussing just kind of extraction techniques and, you know, not long after that, I started working for them. Um, you know, we, we had, uh, you know, a hydrocarbon facility, like I mentioned in, you know, kind of the pre-recreational era. Um, but it was as close to, you know, a modern lab as you could build. Um, it was all, you know, C1D1 compliant and all sealed. Um, you know, we were just using like a nice five pound closed loop, like a precision extractor back then, you know, super basic, but straightforward and, um, you know, from there in 2018, when um, the legalization kind of hit the the recreational regulations hit the market and we were able to move into a fully licensed facility, we were fortunate. Uh, we moved into it very early, like, you know, I would say probably by March of 2018, we were in there and we started extracting by about October of 2018, um, which gave us the the ability. We were one of the first, you know five, I believe five licensed hydrocarbon, like functioning facilities in the state at the time. Um, definitely that had received an annual license. Uh, so that was really cool. You know, we, we always had uh, very good inspections and a, a very good relationship with the CDPH. Um, the brand itself, um, like I mentioned, 
Uh, it's been around since 2014. So, um, you know, Utopia has got like, like some older roots, um, you know, the Chiquita banana or, or sea banana now is what it's called, uh, is actually one of our first, you know, most popular strains. That's what most people would know us for, for the flower back in the day. Uh, we used to do a lot of extracts with the sea banana as well. Um, also we're really well known for our vegan, uh, macaroon edibles. So these are like coconut macaroon edibles. Um, they're vegan, they're, um, paleo, they're organic, they're, you know, pretty much any dietary restriction that they're, they're able to, you know, you're able to eat these unless you just don't like coconut. That's the only thing, but, um, they come in a variety of flavors. They're super delicious. You know, I love the raspberry. It's my favorite. Also the peanut butter, you know, sometimes I'll mix the peanut butter and raspberry and like make a little kind of tastes like a sandwich, like a PBJ sandwich. But, um, yeah, so that's a little bit about like utopia. It's a little bit about myself. Um, and we'll just kind of get in, into the episode a little bit here. So with this episode being an introduction to dabbing, um, we're going to just kind of go over just the basics of dabbing and, and, uh, the basics of just different kind of cannabis concentrates that are on the market available right now. Um, so if you've never heard of dabbing, um, it's a term that references vaping concentrated cannabis extract. Um, cannabis extraction is an art form that's over a thousand years old and it's evolved many iterations since its invention. Uh, cannabis extraction techniques focus on hyper purity. Um, it's, it's the number one focus of pretty much any extractor since this started, you're always trying to just figure out how to make a better, more pure product, how to make it taste more uh, flavorful, just more like the way the plant, um, smelled, um, you know, and, and tweaking those variables. And it just led every extractor in, in every kind of medium that they, extract, you know, what, whatever they use, if it's hydrocarbon or, solventless or um just anything like that it's it's always been about creating a more pure better extract that just kind of gets you higher or has i guess more diverse medical effects if that's what you're going for or, or just like a more effective um means to an end i suppose so um the current extraction techniques uh they focus on hyper purity and isolating the key compounds that make cannabis enjoyable while leaving behind the impurities that could lead to negative side effects. Um, you know, obviously nobody's ever died of cannabis, but there definitely are carcinogens in the actual buds when you smoke them. Um, you know, if anything that you're just combusting at that heat, that's got plant compounds, it's definitely going to have carcinogens. So, you know, when you switch to vaping, like, uh, cannabis extracts like this, it definitely kind of reduces, um, you know, those carcinogens in your lungs and, and you definitely hit them at a lot lower temperature. You know, it's like when you're smoking combusted flour, I believe it's like over 2000 degrees. Um, and so, you know, that's why a lot of people use like a water pipe or something like that. But, um, when you're dabbing, the average temperature is about like 500 to 700 degrees or sorry, 500 to 600 degrees. So it's, it's really not, um, very high on average. Um, the term dabbing itself comes from the saying, a dab will do. Um, it's because only the smallest bit or a dab is really needed for an incredibly potent high if you consume it properly. Uh, current dabbing usually involves um, like a water pipe. These are often called rigs. Uh, they have a quartz bowl or a banger. That's what they're known for or known as. Um, you'd also need a carb cap to cover and like restrict the airflow. Uh, this also helps create some convection heating inside the banger and a torch to heat the banger itself. You also need an IR 
an either a timer or an IR thermometer to read the current heat levels in the banger. Um, so the timer is basically just like, you know, any timer app on your phone. Um, you can set it for, or, you know, I usually just start it and I torch for about 30 seconds. Um, and then you can just kind of, you know, let it cool down from there and kind of, you know, estimate, you can use your timer to, uh, you know, I usually hit it at about like a minute and a half to two minutes, depending on the type of quartz quality that you're using. Um, and, uh, yeah, then you can also use like a IR thermometer or like a temperature station is what they're called. Um, this will like give you like a live readout of the current heat levels in the banger. Um, this is what like the average dabber is going to be using these days. Um, yeah, there's, there's a bunch of different, you know, I guess, uh, um, qualities of those and, and they're, they're typically called temperature stations. Um, there's also mobile electronic vaporizer, vaporizer devices that simulate the dabbing experience, uh, without the torch for convenient use for either beginner uses or outside use. So it's like, uh, these are torchless devices. Um, it's all self-contained. You just kind of plug and play. You can buy it, um, charge it. Uh, they basically have like a little, um, ceramic, like banger hole themselves. And a lot of them come with like a bubble cap, like kind of attached. So you just, you know, put it, uh, you know, turn it on, you set it to different heat settings. Um, they usually have like a little thing that will vibrate and let you know that the, uh, that the thing's ready to, to be, you know, hit. And then you kind of just put the dab inside the, like the little ceramic thing and, and put the cap on it. And then there you go. You got like, um, you know, a mobile dabbing experience, but it's definitely nothing like the, the real experience. Uh, but we'll talk more about that later. So um, cannabis concentrates are a favorite of cannabis connoisseurs because they embody all of our favorite parts of cannabis. Um, they have a flavor almost identical to the nose on fresh cannabis. So, um, you know, when smoked, proper cannabis extracts can offer not only the most potent high, but the most flavorful smoking experience currently known to man. Um so like, yeah, you know, if, if you just love the smell of flour, if you know you, you smelled flour and you're like, wow, this smells fantastic and, and you want to taste something that's just something that embodies that whole plant flavor with, uh, you know, with a just a good potent high that that's really going to last. And, and really, there's, there's nothing like taking a dab if you're, if you're a cannabis enthusiast. You know, the first time, you know, you, you really try one done right, um, it's hard to go back and you kind of just want to keep, you know, smoking more of them. Um, so with that being said, we're going to get into the basics of taking a dab. So there are a lot of ways to achieve this result. Um, we're going to only go over how the average connoisseur would dab these days. Um, just because there, there probably is a lot of different variations that people could be doing depending on like what state you're in or what regulation or just even like what friends you have, you know, it's, it's obviously cannabis has always been like a little bit of a, a mysterious thing and, and hard to get into just because like the legalization factor, you know, across the country and, and it always being varied and, and different depending on where you live and, and your community and definitely who, who, you know, you're exposed to and what type of information, you know, they, they've found and, and been exposed to in turn themselves. Um, so, uh, the, the average connoisseur these days, um, you know, you, you're going to start with what you have a water pipe. Um, modern dab rigs will have what is called a female joint. So this refers to the style of like joint on the rig. Um, female style means the bangers inserted into the joint. Next, we have what we call a banger. These are quartz apparatus that are um, that allow for vaporization of the cannabis oil. So quartz bangers vary greatly in price. Um, they range from $20 to $300, depending on the quartz quality, um, whether it's made in China or the United States, and then the designer brand. Um, 
we'd always recommend American Quartz Banger. Um, there's a, a variety of reasons. Um, the biggest being just that the quartz factories in China are, are typically very impure. So it's like there's going to be the likelihood or like a higher likelihood of heavy metals being mixed in there um, or just having some type of dust on the banger, you know, before it gets shipped, um, maybe not being annealed. Any of these factors can really, um, you know, put a detriment on the quality of just like your dab, you know, it's, it's going to lead to inconsistent heating. It's going to lead to inconsistent cooling, um, just like it all over, just like less effective product. And, um, yeah, just, it's, we, we recommend using the American quartz bangers. Um, the, those are going to kind of range from about a hundred dollars to, I mean, they, they range upwards of $300, um, for a quality brand, but I would say the average you could find is about a hundred to 150 for something quality. Um, uh, pure quartz also has no thermal reactivity, so uh, it can be dunked in room temperature water while growing red hot, and it, the the quartz wouldn't crack. Um, I wouldn't recommend this, though. You're basically just going to make a bunch of steam, and um, it's just kind of needless. Um, you also need you also need a carb cap of some kind. Um, the best are either what's called bubble caps or a spinner cap. Um, so a bubble cap, it just kind of sits on top of the banger. Um, they have a lot more airflow. Uh, you can choose the direction. So like you pick the direction it's going, um, control the flow of the oil. And, uh, you know, I use the bubble cap a lot just for like a more chunky or like airy dab. If that's kind of what I'm in the mood for. So that's still something I use frequently. Um, the other one is a spinner cap. Um, these ones I use a little bit less these days, but they're still really cool. Uh, they have like a little bit more restricted airflow. Um, they also use like a little coil of gas or a glass that goes through the center of them and, the coil just causes uh, like the oil to kind of spin inside the bottom. And so if you're using turp pearls, which um, if you're unfamiliar, turp pearls are just like they're like little quartz beads or they're usually like borosilicate or you can even get ruby ones. Um, but they're little beads that they, they sit in the bottom of the banger and they just kind of add with that heat retention. Um, so, you know, they help keep keep the banger a little bit warmer. And then they also move the oil around and just kind of add like an extra heat source to, you know, vaporize and, and spin. So if you use the spinner caps with the uh, the turp pearls, they really just kind of like spin really quickly and just like make kind of like a vortex inside there. Um, it's pretty cool, too. So uh, any decent head shop can help you find all these um, for like the large range of for for a large range of prices. So we recommend Ziggy's if you're in the SoCal area, um, the Cave if you're in the Bay. Um, they're both really good head shops, uh, both really friendly staff, very helpful um, people, and they can get you like kind of just laced up with an out the door setup in, in all different price ranges. You know, if you want to go heady glass or if you want to just do you know functional. Um, cheap American and, and even China, Chinese glass. I'm sure that they have some options like that that are just like very, very entry level um, kind of out the door dabbing setups. Um, also, I mean, at this point, the average smoke shop just on any corner is going to have some basic dabbing apparatus in California. It's so popular these days. Um, uh, next, you need the torch. This is another key component. We recommend the Blazer GT 8000. Uh, big shot is what it's called. Um, it's like, it's by far the most compact and reliable torch for dabbing. They run about $80 on Amazon. Um, and it's just, uh, it's pretty much the dabbing standard. I mean, they, they're Japanese made. They run really well for a long time. Um, they have a great just kind of point to them. So like really focalized, focalized heat. Um, and 
yeah, they're just they're they're kind of the best one, and they come in a variety of colors, so you can pick you know whichever one's your favorite kind of color, and uh, they they do you know what you know unique and and seasonal kind of colors as well too. Um, so the next we have a temperature station. These are temp reading devices that sit on your table, like we discussed earlier. Uh, they give a readout of the current temperature in your banger. These eliminate the use of timers for any guesswork for dabbing. Uh, the brand we recommend is Dabrite. However, there's many options ranging from about $20 on Amazon for a cheap but effective you know, IR thermometer gun. Um, those only downside of those is they don't give you like a live readout. You know, they only you give you a readout on what you hit, like when you pull the trigger on the little gun. So you kind of will just have to guess from there, you know, just line it up and then, um, you know, hit it on there. And uh, yeah, you can still use your timer and still use that to get like an effective temperature reading. And, and it is only $20. So those work well, but it's not going to give you like a live feed. Um, and then they, they go all the way up to about $250 with, um, I feel like the average range from all the different brands being about a hundred, the 250 is like the really high end kind of brand. Um, so assuming you have all these components, taking a dab at utopia would follow as such. Uh, first you use the blazer torch, you heat up the banger from below. I personally usually torch for roughly 30 seconds, um, then torch the banger sides for about 10 seconds. Um, this kind of just gets the walls a little bit heated up too and just can add to that convection effect. Uh, next, put your banger over the temperature station. So you, you're just going to kind of, you know, pivot the rig. Some of these temperature stations, depending on what they are, you know, if you're using the temp gun, you just line it up from underneath, um, you know, just kind of pop it on the bottom. Um, not you, you use the, the IR thermometer, you know, you shoot the laser beam on the bottom from like a couple inches below. Um, you can check the readout, see what your temperature is, kind of gauge from there. Um, and then, you know, you know when to go. Um, then the other option would be, like I said, the temperature station. So those are going to sit underneath um, about a couple inches below. A lot of them have like a little laser guider light that can help, you know, tell you to uh, tell you like where your banger could kind should kind of sit. Um, then after those are all lined up, uh, you know, it'll give you that that live readout. Um, we recommend hitting your dab between 500 and 600 degrees, depending on the size of the dab and how hard of a hit is desired. So scoop your dab onto like a little titanium dab tool. Um, when the desired dab, when the desired temp reads out on the temp reader, insert the dab in the banger. So it's like if you, there, there used to be an old saying, like you got to waste it to taste it. So if you want to hit it at like a really low temp, you know, you can start, which is what we, we recommend. You know, we, we recommend you start lower and then go higher and hotter is like you want a more kind of like effective or just like potent dab, so to speak. So um, start with something small. Start in like the 480 to 500, 525 kind of temp range. Um, you, you know, you, you might make like a little tiny puddle. That's fine. Um, you can always retorch it a little bit if you want. Uh, we don't recommend, you know, you never want to like torch it so it's, um, you know, smoldering in there. But definitely just like a little like five second or less kind of reheat will will help you reheat. And you can always resmoke that dab um, just at the time when you're sitting there. So yeah, you can just start at, you know, kind of different degrees from there. So start at 500, move to 525, 550, you know, up to 600 and, and just kind of the ranges in between. And you'll find that that just that really effective kind of hit for, for the size dab that you have and, and, you know, how hard you want to hit it. And it's like, obviously, if you want to hit it a little bit hotter, that's going to create just like a, you know, more hard hitting dab. It's, it's going to combust it a little bit more and, 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 you know, really get those kind of cannabinoids, um, 
you know, racing. But at the same time, you're going to combust those terps. So it's going to be a much less flavorful dab. It's, it's kind of like the give and take, you know, it's like, if you want to take it really low temperature, you get that really flavorful one. And then, you know, you can hit it high, high temperature afterwards. Um, so after the, the temperature reads out, insert the dab in the banger. It should melt right off. Um, I usually put my dab tool in like the bottom corner of the banger and I just kind of like slide it up. Um, usually the dab just slips right off when that happens. Um, I prefer to cap the banger with the carb cap before hitting the pipe. Uh, this just stops like from as much cold air kind of rushing over it. Some people feel like, you know, you might be missing a little bit of terps like that. Um, you know, I, I personally don't. I feel like it's it's just so quick, but... Um, to each their own, you know, to kind of kind of figure out what, whatever you like. But yeah, so I, I put the, the cap right on the banger before I even start pulling any air through it, just so it keeps the the airflow passing over the oil and the, and the, the banger is as hot as possible and as, as restricted as possible um, for as long as I'm hitting it. Um, I've just personally found that that just helps like me get like a little bit more effective, more like hard hitting dab. Um, so. um you know, at that point, you're basically, you know, you're, you're taking a dab, you know, you just you hit it after the caps on there, um, you're good to go. Um, after taking the dab, it's essential to use Q-tips and a little ISO to clean the banger um, of the leftover dab. So we highly recommend this. This is how you're going to keep your banger clean and just honestly keep your whole smoking experience better. Because if you just go to torch that off next time, it's going to burn onto the banger. It's going to turn like black and crispy and you can either keep hitting it on that, but it's not going to taste good or you're going to have to burn it off every time, which is just this, you know, really tedious, um, you know, process. And then it, it compromises your bangers quality. So your banger is just going to instantly start breaking down, um, because of that. So, or not breaking down, sorry, but getting, um, what we call charred or, um, scuzz. So it's just like going to have like a bunch of just like kind of gray appearing all over the banger. And, and as that appears, um, it starts to become less and less effective for heat retention. So, Basically, all you do is you take a Q-tip, um, the leftover oil, um, you Q-tip it out with the Q-tip dry, you remove, you know, the majority of it. Um, then I usually Q-tip the, or sorry, soak the Q-tip with a little bit of ISO. Like I usually just keep like a little ISO station or or they sell like little um, ISO pumps on Amazon for like $10. Um, that's actually what I have. So it's like a, like a little sealed pump and then you just kind of press it and um, yeah, it makes a little puddle of ISO for you that you can, you know, soak up with your q-tip and then you just use that to kind of just clean the banger um this will keep the banger like almost brand new for years i mean i have year old uh toro bangers that look uh, great especially back in the day before we started doing this um you would just burn it off every time and bangers just really had a short shelf life um so yeah it's like back then the china banger was a lot more popular um, because people weren't doing this. And so, you know, it was, it was easier to just get a $20 banger. You could just, you know, burn up and go through. But nowadays, um, it's well worth the investment for, you know, one of these $150 bangers. And if you use it and treat it right, they'll definitely last you years. You know, to, to say that you'll get years out of your banger is not an understatement. Um, if you just, uh, follow kind of the procedures that I mentioned above. Um, so we're going to get into kind of what the, like kind of what's currently on the market right now. Um, the current recreational market has a lot of options when it comes to extracts. Um, there's many varieties and price points. They range from like disposable vaporizers to high-end water hash. Uh, the lowest cost and most entry-level product would be a disposable vaporizer. So these are the 510 thread devices that just screw on. Um, the, that's going to be the cheapest, most entry-level. Um, pretty much 
that's that's very standard for a vaping device all across the state. You can find those at pretty much any dispensary. I'm actually at every dispensary. Um, then the one that's a little bit less common. So these are closed hardware systems. Um, so this is if you've maybe seen like the PAX device or the G Pen or any of those good ones. Um, so basically, it's like a system where the manufacturer provides the hardware is like the battery as well as the hardware to actually put inside the battery. So these are cool, but um, they're just they haven't caught on or, or gotten as 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 um, you know common is is the 510 are so they're like a little bit harder to find and once you buy the battery pack for them you know you're kind of forced to get uh, or, or you know left to just get the brands that are in that market so um they're a little bit less popular but they're, they're really nice i mean they're the best kind of vaporizer disposable vaporizers on the market because they are closed like a closed system so they're designed by the manufacturer from kind of the ground up to just give you the best like mo- most robust dabbing experience um just kind of give you the ability to like tweak the, um, you know, the temperature that they're being hit at and, you know, kind of, uh, at least for the manufacturer side, they, they, they give us more, um, just control and ability to create like a more kind of connoisseur product that, that goes inside them just because we know that the, the people getting them have a better ability to choose how they smoke them. Whereas the 510 kind of just burn. Um, so, all these products, they're typically made with, uh, or both these products, they're typically made with distillate, a, a pure THC cannabis oil. So this is fully decarbed. It's usually around 80 or 95% uh, pure THC. This is often mixed with botanical terpenes to create flavors that mimic cannabis. Cannabis. Um, botanical terpenes are completely safe when used without any additives. Um, they are produced from pure fruit and are chemically identical to terpenes found in cannabis. Um, they are missing some stuff though. You know, they're, they're missing uh, a lot of key components and, and, uh, what you maybe have noticed if you smoked, you know, vaporizer devices is like, why don't these, um, vaporizers taste at all like a real dab or like, you know, real cannabis smells. They just kind of have this like whatever sweet flavor or mimicking flavor or whatever. Um, and it's because they're, they're not full spectrum. So they're, they, they're missing some of the flavonoids and plant compounds found in real cannabis extracts. Um, and all of these add to a more robust, authentic flavor. So, you know, while some of these are impurities, um, they they do add to like, you know, what creates the flavor of cannabis. And we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about this later. So also on the market are live resin pens. Um, they even have solventless hash pens. Uh, but be wary of packaging marketed as live resin pens. Um, the definition is used very loosely. Um, currently for Utopia vaporizer, Vaporizers, uh, we use a blend of 50% HTE, which that's a, it's a high terpene extract. So this is like live resin, like basically pure sauce. So this is a, like a byproduct of us creating live resin diamonds. Um, when you create diamonds, you, you create, you know, pure THCA isolate diamonds, rocky diamonds, and then you create what we call HTE, which is like a high terpene extract. It's a, it's a very high terpene solution. Um, the average ranging is about like 15 to 40% terps. Um, the average THC is about, you know, 20 to 60% THC. Um, and then the remainder is, is typically some of these plant compounds, you know, these, these flavonoids, um, plant fats, a little bit of them, a little bit of waxes, and, and even a little bit of chlorophyll is all mixed in there. Um, you know, we, we do filter, um, which we'll talk more about that later, but, um, to some extent we don't remove everything, you know, we do want, um, some, you know, 
we do want some product that represents like a, a full spectrum. You know, it's not, we don't want to remove all the components that make cannabis flavorful or um, tasty or just, you know, what, what people like or even have medical effects. Um, so the other 50% is going to be live resin diamonds. Um, this uses, uh, it's, it's basically, we use a unique process to combine the two evenly. So, you know, we, we break down the diamonds, um, and then we, we evenly re reintroduce them to the high terpene extract. And then this is what we use to flavor and fill our pens. Um, but uh, you know, I know of some companies personally that they, they fill as long as they have as long as uh, 5% HTE, um, and the remainder distillate, they can still call it live resin. And a lot of times that 5% isn't, isn't enough to kind of make the, the pens really hit. So they'll still add like a two or 3% uh, botanical terpenes just to um, thin out the distillate a little bit farther. And then, you know, use, like I said, as little as 5% of um, actual live resin. And then they call that a live resin pen because they feel, you know, as long as it has some cannabis plant material in it, the, the state hasn't said that um, they haven't set guidelines that say or define what you can call a live resin pen other than that it has to have cannabis in it. So the definition's a bit loose at this point. And um, yeah, we're we're still working that out. But just be wary, um, you know, pick pick the brand based on, um, you know, what you know about them and, and what you know about their quality of product versus just like the, the you know prettiest packaging or best price point. Unless, um, you know, you're just looking for straight, you know, entry level uh, distillate pens, which in which case, um, yeah, you know, do the same thing. Just do a little bit of brand research, make sure they're being completely transparent and, you know, letting you know what's in the, the product and, and the the quality and grade of kind of material being used. All right. So, um, the next kind of step up would be trim run product. Um, this has seen a large resurgence in the market since the introduction of CRC, a CRC or clay remediation is a process that uses a series of chemical clays to filter out plant contaminants and impurities. Um, now that maybe sounds good, but, we're already typically in like the modern hydrocarbon lab. We're already filtering out plant impurities and contaminants using um, like negative 80 cryo temperatures. Um, so the process in general for BHO extraction, um, it's been scaled greatly, but it's basically the same process as, as you know, when they started in the 70s. Uh, you basically have, you know, a series of metal tubes, metal cylinders. Um, you fill these with biomass. Um, there's some type of screen that separates the biomass from um your, your, your extract in the end. And then you use, um, compressed, you know, liquid butane to pass over the vessels. Um, now, now what's happening is the butane is, is, is very cold. Um, us personally, our butane is at negative 80 because you can, you can chill the butane to colder. So we use, um, liquid CO2 to chill the butane. Um, we bring it down to negative 80. So this is going to make your trichrome heads very brittle. Um, they're going to just kind of want to fall right off the cannabis plant. Um, second, you know, we use like a slight pressure. So the butane itself is pressurized. Um, in our example of the, of our closed loop system, it's non-pressurized. So we use a little bit of, cause we're so cold. Um, so we use a little bit of nitrogen, inert gas to, to create some head pressure. <clears throat> and then, um, from that point, we'll pass the, the liquid butane gas over the biomass in those columns. Um, it's then going to pass through. Um, knock those trichrome heads off with that even gentle um, pressure created by the nitrogen. And then the, the cannabinoids themselves, the, um, you know, the, uh, 
terpenes, all that stuff is, is, you know, soluble into the butane. So it all just kind of gets carried through. Um, from that point, you then have to remove the butane. Um, so it's in a liquid form. It's now in this kind of liquid slurry that has all those cannabinoids and terpenes and all the good stuff in there. Um, you use heat. So in these sealed vessels, you know, it's, it's heat, um, uh, like basically in jackets, you know, we boil out all that butane, um, and then, that butane is recondensed, so that's why you know you call that system a closed loop system. Um, but then you take that extracted oil and then you put it in um, what we call drying ovens or um, vacuum ovens, and you put them in there for for about five days or or longer, and you kind of just pull all that excess gas out of there. So they pull into like a you know a full vacuum, um, and then they sit under slight heat, so the gas is able to freely move out of them. Um, so this process is basically the same for, you know, since it's, like I said, in the beginning, we, we basically did that same, those same steps, but just a lot more rudimentary. Um, but so, so modern extractions, uh, the, at least if they're done properly like that, they have a de-waxing involved. And so the de-waxing, um, it pulls in a lot of the plant impurities. So it's going to freeze the majority of the chlorophyll, the majority of the plant fats and waxes and, and just like extra carcinogens that could get carried over in the extraction process. Um, but it does not freeze in all of them, which it is by design. So, um, we, we, we specifically don't remove those. And, and the reason being, um, you know, if, if you've ever smelled cannabis plant, like when you were first a cannabis enthusiast, I mean, for me, it was in sixth grade. Um, but I smelled cannabis and I was like, you know, I really hope that this, that this smells like there, that this tastes like this. I brought it home, you know, I, I, well, the last, the first time I smoked it with a friend, but, um, you know, we, we put it in like a little bong, a little water pipe thing and, and we hit it and, uh, you know, it, it, it got you stoned, but it, it definitely tasted just kind of like a little bit burnt. And back then I didn't know better anyways, but you know, as you get a little bit older or a little bit more into cannabis, you start to find like what really good weed is and, and you kind of fall in love with that. And, and you're always kind of chasing that, 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 what you know is good weed. You know, it's something that you love and, and different people can have different definitions, different people, you know, like different strains a little bit more, um, different people like maybe the tops of cannabis. I prefer kind of just like the under little budlets, like, like, you know, a couple inches down from the tops, um, just because you know, I feel like they grow a little bit better with a little bit less stems. But yeah, so everybody has their preferences. And, um, you know, when you first smelled that cannabis plant, you, you fell in love with that flavor, you know, and, and you wanted it to taste like that. So the first time you ever smoked like a cannabis extract, I'm sure it was the same effect. You know, you, you smelled that cannabis extract and you're like, wow, this, this smells like candy and, and cannabis, you know, it's, this is great. This is, um, you know, what I was hoping for. And I hope it tastes like this. And then you, you, if you hit it right, you know, you hit it on a nail, um, at a, at a low temp and, and you get that just really flavorful dab. It's like, Oh wow, th this is the flavor I was looking for my, my whole life or my whole cannabis life. And, um, you know, it's, it's just fantastic to, to finally reach that. But a big part of that flavor is created by those impurities. You know, a big part of that flavor when you smell real cannabis, when you smell a bud is, um, it's chlorophyll, it's these flavonoids, it's these plant compounds, you know, it's these fats and waxes. I mean, they all contribute to some extent to, to creating this like robust product. So if you remove any of those, um, fully, um, you stop to, you stop really having what, what you could consider a full spectrum extract. And at that same time, if, if you reduce your terpenes down to, to their complete pure chemical form, which often, um, you know, happens in this clay remediation process, uh, you basically don't have anything different chemically than botanical terpenes. Um, you've removed all of the cannabinoids or not cannabinoids, sorry, you've removed all the cannabis components that, that make it full spectrum and, and can add to, 
um, just this robust flavor. And, and now you basically might as well have pure THCA or THC and, and botanical terpenes and, and kind of just cut out the middleman. So um, these CRC products, they're, they're something to be wary of for multiple reasons. Um, one, they can over purify, they can over filter, they can water down the flavor um, if you're using it on like live resin and quality product. Um, so really, if, you, if you're using quality product, that there's no reason to use this. There's no reason to remediate any color or anything like that. It all comes out looking great anyways. Um, and cannabis, it, it shouldn't be white. Um, if you think about it, so when when you're harvesting cannabis plants, there, there's kind of a couple things you're looking for. So the conventional thought process behind it was you would look and you you would look at the trichrome heads under a, a little um, viewing glass, and if they were um, if they were clear, then it wasn't ready to go. If they were milky, um, that was that was starting to get ready, and then once they were amber, then then that's when you knew you're ready to harvest. You know, and this is like an old full sun technique, and even an indoor technique. Just to kind of know when in week eight, um, you know, your plants are kind of getting to full maturity if it's an eight week plant. And so properly harvested cannabis is going to have amber trichrome heads. So it's going to have um, oranges and, and almost red kind of hues to it because the ambering of, of the fully you know matured trichrome gland. So um, if you see an extract that's pure white, I mean, it's it's either been harvested early intentionally um, for live resin, which which is fine, you know, but. You, you have to watch how early you harvest it. You can definitely kind of compromise, um, you know, what we call like monoterpenes, um, you know, basically converting into just basically a, a larger variety of terpenes. And, and without that conversion process happening, you can really miss out on, um, you know, just, just some of the more diverse flavors of cannabis. And so you have to be wary of, of these very early harvesters that are, that are trying to pull, pull these pure white extract um, the best kind of time to harvest it is that kind of like milky time. So you still get a really light extract and you don't have any of that ambering. Um, but you know, obviously if we're talking cured full plant here, um, which a lot of these, you know, which, which we're talking about at the moment. So trim run product, um, it's going to be dark, you know, it's going to be compromised, especially if the trimming process, um, they weren't the best to it or if they didn't treat the trim the best afterwards, you know, whether it be, just not frozen or put through a trimming machine. All of these things are going to affect like the, the final output product. Um, so the, with the, the CRC, we, we've seen a big resurgence in this, the trim run basically, because, um, it's allowed a lot of people to buy like this low end biomass, like really low grade, um, basically stuff that almost was being thrown away. It was just being converted to distillate for very low, um, and then they run it through this color remediation process and then they, they strip all the color and it creates this like very light white, you know, neon extract. Um, it only leaves kind of the terpenes. And so um, they think that this is, you know, I guess an OK extract to sell to consumers. And so a lot of times they'll sell it under, you know, under a nug run brand or even live resin or something like that, like, like branding. And then, you know, you get that product and it, it tastes like, um, I mean, I, I've even tried some of the CRC product that tastes like fireworks, you know, like the, the farmer maybe potentially did some sulfur burn or something like that. And, um, yeah, you, you taste this product and it just does not taste like live resin. It doesn't taste like nugs. It, it doesn't have those terps. It's, it's only got these, you know, really degraded trim terps, um, and, and in a concentrated form. So it's, it's not better, you know, it's by far worse. And, and at best, you know, I've seen some of these, they taste like pure limonene. Um, it's almost like they're adding botanical terpenes because they, they realize the ones that they have aren't good. So that's also a possibility too. Um, 
you know, some of these CRC brands just dropping out the diamonds after CRCing and then adding um, botanical terpenes just to create like a general limey flavor or something like that. Um, also, you know, this is kind of just them them pulling the wool over consumers' eyes. You know, it's it's a way to kind of say, hey, well, we're just. I mean, the the term in the in the community is is polishing turds. You know, it's because th- this material is is basically crude grade material. It should only be converted to distillate. It should only be sold in. Um, like vape pens or or in an edible form, um, but instead it's being sold to consumers directly, and you know consumers are being lied to about what the source material is because it does look so light. Um, so just be be wary of product that's um, very very white. Um, be very be you know a super super light colored. Um, I feel like your your product should definitely be at least yellow, ye- yellow to like amberish hues. Um, don't be afraid of something that's orange, especially if it's like a an orange flavored strain like a tangy or something like that. So yeah, um, you know, you just want to be wary of, of um, CRC branded products in general and, and very, very light colored products in general. Um, and just, you know, know your extractor, know your brand. I mean, obviously you, you can't know your extractor, but know, know the brand behind it. Try and do like a little bit about their brand story. Um, there's definitely, there's a ton of brands in the market, but at this point there's, there's enough people doing it right enough, you know, of our contemporaries that are, doing a, a good, a great job out there and creating a good quality product that they really care about the brand and, and, um, you know, end product and all that. And there's enough of them that, you know, you as a consumer, um, with your buying power, you don't need to compromise, you know, there's uh, pl- plenty, plenty of the, the good stuff out there. Um, so, you know, if we were going to say how utopia were to extract, um, so as I mentioned earlier, we use inline um, de-waxing. So we extract at negative 80 Fahrenheit. Um, so this reaches, you know, almost cryo temperatures. Like I mentioned, this causes a lot of the plant impurities to freeze, you know, solid into the biomass. So they don't even carry through. Um, so this is like an inline de-waxing. Um, you know, this is how we make all of our live resin, all of our cured re- cured resin products. Um, the cured resin isn't really for um, consumer smoking. But um, we still do the de-waxing process. It makes it a little bit easier for, um, you know, for before the uh, winterization process for the vape pens and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, it just it just makes less trash uh, for just down the line. So this is what we would recommend um, as far as filtration. You know, you, you definitely have to have a little bit of moderation with it because, as I mentioned earlier, you know, if, if you fell in love with true cannabis flavor, um, a big part of that flavor is is all of those all of those plant components. You know, even the chlorophyll. You know, all, all of it makes some some smell and and something that all comes together. You know, that the true cannabis enthusiast just absolutely loves. You know, um, and the CRC products are definitely going to be missing it, even if you use like quality input material. So I personally don't really see why anybody you know that's using good quality input would use CRC, but um, you know some brands do and. And they swear by it. And so, um, you know, to each their own, I suppose, to, to that extent. Um, so the next most common extract and better quality up would be live resin. I'm kind of skipping Nug Run here because kind of for the most part, Nug Run has really become a bit of a thing of the past um, with the introduction of kind of like the consumer sales of Littles. So like Little Budlets um, and then pre-rolls, pretty much all like Larf Bud and pre-roll and, and Budlets and all that stuff either gets sold directly to consumers in like bulk kind of ounce form or um, it's just putting pre-rolls and stuff like that for people. And the reality is a lot of the indoor trim is being put into pre-rolls. So, um, you know, don't be under the the impression that, 
you know, all of these indoor farmers are, are, are selling their, their indoor trim still for this to be turned into extract. Um, no, the majority of trim sell, sold on the market is pretty much all um, greenhouse trim. And it's really end goal is just to be used for distillation and uh, like, yeah, not not for consumer smoking. And that's, you know, like I mentioned, how the introduction of CRC kind of came in place. Um, so, like I said, we're kind of skipping over the nug round because it's, it's kind of been become a thing of the past. Um, the next is is live resin. Um, live resin is cannabis that's harvested fresh, pruned, bucked and then frozen within 30 minutes of being chopped from the plant. Uh, live resin extraction has grown a lot in the last few years with commercial grows, manufacturing facilities, and the ability to freeze thousands of pounds of cannabis. Um, that's that's why the live resin t- took off. You know, a lot of times the live resin will be, um, you know, not these farms don't have all the means to dry the cannabis that they grew. Um, or, I mean, the reality is there there could be heavy metal leaching into the ground from from that, but heavy metals do not carry over in hydrocarbon extraction at all. So it's it's a common practice for people to just kind of grow grow the biomass and then be able to, to chop it and turn it into fresh frozen. Um, we we would never personally do that. Just um, you know. W- we think a little bit um, more from from the backwards moving back, uh, or sorry, from the from the end moving back, um, and and we obviously always want to create a quality product. So you know, we we would never just um, you know plant in the ground like that and create a product that um, is tainted. But um, it is out there, you know. So it's like uh, live resin has become a very common um, you know just extract on the market, consumer extract. All of our, you know, both our Headstash and our Utopia branded sales um, are both, uh, for our extracts, are both live resin. Um, at this point, we can source them, source live resin effectively or, or you know, produce it from our own grow at, at a cost that, um, yeah, we can provide both the Headstash and Utopia brands um, at both pretty affordable kind of entry level um, for the Headstash and a, an affordable connoisseur product for the Utopia. Um, so... Depending on the the source, it's going to kind of determine the price. So there's full sun. Um, that's plants that have just you know you put them out. They they sit for the entire term. Um, greenhouse, and then there's indoor grown cannabis. Um, full sun extracts will offer the highest percentage of terpenes and usually the least diverse flavors. Um, this is due to monoterpene blowouts that the full term plants are prone to do in the live resin form. So as I mentioned before, monoterpenes are terps that have yet to convert to a variety of other terpenes. Um, so this process typically happens during the curing process for, for plants. So if, if you dry your full sun plants, that's when a lot of those like more diverse flavors, you, you might be hearing me talk and think like, well, I've, I've smoked plenty of outdoor that, that smells, you know, unique and flavorful and all this. And, and it's typically because, um, it does happen in the curing process and it does still make those, uh, you know, unique terpenes and, and all that good stuff. So, um, but when you extract, if, especially if you pull fresh, you know, really early, which is what a lot of people do for their full term, um, if they're harvesting for extraction because of the color, like I mentioned earlier, um, they, you know, they, they have that monoterpene blowout. And then, um, so the next up would be greenhouse, which greenhouse also is likely to have like the, a very high percentage of terpenes, typically higher than, than cannabinoids even, or not terpenes, but, uh, uh, just like HTE, you know, so typically saucier than it, than it is, um, you know, like Rocky for, for diamonds or, or saucier, you know, for a batter or something like that when we're talking, you know, greenhouse live resin. Um, and, and the same thing, um, there's, 
there are some, you know, monoterpenes to be considered here um, as far as, you know, flavor, which is why greenhouse, again, it, it can kind of blend together um, depending on on the phenotype or how and when it was harvested and all that good stuff. So um, the greenhouse, it, it, it is a major step up from the full sun outdoor. And it's the majority of what live resin in California currently is com- comprised of. Um, and so greenhouse live resin can be great, especially, you know, once whenever you you move cannabis indoors or in any sort of environment where you can control the variables, um, all that happens is you just create an, an, an a better product, you know, so increased more flavorful terpenes and a lot of times higher cannabinoid count. So um, greenhouse extracts are really good. And especially some of these greenhouses these days, um, they're completely sealed environments. They're, they're basically indoor with just sun assisted light. Um, you know, they're sealed, they have AC, they have supplemental CO2, um, you know, obviously fans and all the good stuff. And so, um, yeah, it, it really just kind of depends, but this is where, you know, the, the quality is going to probably vary just the largest depending on, you know, cultivator and their ability to, um, yeah, uh, minimize those variables or, or really control them. All right. So the next product that we'd have would be indoor fresh frozen or indoor live resin. Um, this is going to be product. Uh, just similar to, you know, greenhouse flower versus indoor flower. Um, just like I mentioned before, the more you can control those variables, the more that, you know, the just the better the final product comes out. So uh, indoor live resin is pretty much like the top tier when it comes to like hydrocarbon live resin product. Um, these days, it's a little bit rare in California just because the recreational market currently due to the demand for quality flowers and current average market price for extracts being significantly lower than the pound price of indoor flowers. Um, not very many people are converting this into like an actually smokable product these days. Um, it basically just kind of comes down to uh, like margins and likely, I mean, the uh, the only reason really indoor product gets turned into, um, you know, fresh frozen these days is if you're vertically integrated, like you own a grow like we do, and you also own, own a manufacturing company and you want to try and run both of them, um, you know, create like a really good product. Um, 710 Labs is another company I can think of that does that. Um but yeah, other than that, um, for the most part, there's really no reason to because unless you own the manufacturing brand, um, it's just going to cost you too much money to either, you know, have it be sent out on a split or or have somebody, you know, pay somebody to run it for you. And then also add the additional packaging when the demand is already so high for, um, you know, quality indoor flowers, especially in like all forms. You know, at this point, the average person is using the, um, you know, they're using the littles, the buds, you know, the little budlets to sell to consumers directly. Um, they're also using um, even the trim, like I mentioned earlier. Like, you know, the, a lot of these indoor cultivators are, you know, just straight rolling up their trim and, and calling that a pre-roll because it has like, you know, plenty of keef and, and little budlets in there. And, and they did a lot of the bucking um, before it even got to that stage. So, <clears throat> It's just like a common practice these days to kind of see, um, yeah, less and less indoor live resin really in California. Um, it's just kind of where we're at. But um, so then the next kind of product we're going to move into, uh, this would be solventless extracts. Um, so these range in price, like everything we've discussed so far. Um, there's entry level pricing for like what we call bowl topper hash. Um, this isn't going to be something you could dab. Um, it's about like I'd say probably $30 out the door on average. Um, but then it goes as high as probably about $120 a gram, which is for fresh frozen, um, indoor. Um, 
just for the same reasons I kind of mentioned before, you know, it's just, it's just the top quality kind of stuff. So water hash is one of the oldest and most tested processes for creating extracts. Um, the process involves using ice water and hash to freeze the cannabis plant, making the trichrome head brittle. Um, it's all the same principles that are applied when we're doing the BHO extraction. I mean, this is where we got the ideas from. Honestly, it's like, uh, water hash goes back much, much farther and has much, much, uh, like more history story than BHO extraction for sure. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's a lot of the same principles. Um, basically you, you're just trying to get the trichrome heads brittle. Um, so they, they break off and, and you get all that, um, you know, all the cannabinoids that you can, and then you're using agitation. So in this case, um, like gentle stirring with like a little bit of ice to kind of knock them off. And then, um, you, you have to have something to separate your medium from your, uh, your like final product, your oil. And so in this case, they use a series of things called bubble bags, which are basically a series of screens that have a different um, micron, which is just like a different um, sieve size, basically. And each one will um, contain basically a different grade of hash. So it's like you use the largest grade to stop all the biomass and then or the largest screen to stop all the biomass. And then from that point, you just go down to just a series of smaller screens and, and by no means is the smallest screen, the best, it, it usually kind of in the middle is where you get the kind of best trichrome heads and all that other stuff. Um, it's usually about like 90 to 120 U range. Um, but there's also really good stuff that's, you know, 120 to 149 range or, or even mixed micron stuff that's, you know, 70 to, um, 149. Um, uh, but really the, the, the lower quality stuff, like, you know, the one, 150 to 180U and, um, you know, the 25 to 40, that should all be mostly, um, all food grade kind of products. So the, those, that should be mostly used for like edibles and stuff like that, like solventless edibles. Um, so yeah. And then you use the water in this case is kind of like the carrier for this. Um, you know, it carries terpenes in it as well. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's like I mentioned, it's, it's, a um, a, a very old art form, but it's also very, um, you know, labor intensive. It's, it's one of the more labor, it's the most labor intensive process to really refine, um, hash on the market right now. So after going through the screens, um, you know, that separates most of the water. You usually just like scoop it out. You put it on, um, you know, the average hash maker these days is going to be using a freeze dryer. Um, the freeze dryer just basically ensures that, like no mold grows or anything like that. Um, you know, the older kind of hash techniques where you used to just kind of like lay them out on cardboard with like another box over the top or all different techniques that other hash makers have used. Um, they all kind of tended to potentially grow mold in the product. So it was like something you had to be wary of. Um, so yeah, it's, it's typically freeze dried and then sieved. And then after that, you know, they, they put it into little coins and they usually press it out, um, into hash rosin and it's, it's put into just like an e even finer screen. Um, so like a usually like 20 micron at this point and then pressed under some heat and, um, yeah, the combination of, of those creates, you know, typically the rosin that you see, um, the hash rosin can definitely also be turned into pens. Um, it's a similar process like we do to use the, the, like the live resin terps and the live resin, um, uh, diamonds. It's, it's just kind of a similar like homogenation pro 
homogenization process that they do. Um, and yeah, currently fresh frozen hash and hash rosin is the most expensive product on the California market when it comes to dabbing. Um, you know, like I mentioned, this, this is, you know, the most connoisseur product at this point. Um, and as I mentioned before, the reason is first and foremost, it's by far the most labor intensive way to produce extracts in a commercial volume. And the yields are notoriously tricky to nail with fresh frozen. So it's like, when you're running BHO, it's a lot more forgiving of a um, of like a medium because you're you have a lot more access to the terpenes. Like um, ter- terpenes are non water soluble, so they just kind of get carried over. Um, they kind of just get picked up in the washing process, where um, the cannabinoids and the terpenes are both soluble in, in the butane extraction. So, um, you know, that's another big big thing to consider. It's like if if you love certain strains, there just might not be a way to really you know wash them. It's it's a reason why some of these brands. Um, you know, they've made like kind of like a tiered system where there's just these really, really high end kind of hash products. And it's because they just don't yield well. You know, it's like if, if you're washing and you're getting a one and a half to even three percent yield, you know, sometimes that can be pretty hard. But if you're getting that five percent yield, um, then, you know, you're you're, you're really getting um, exactly what you you're looking for. And 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 the difference of that two percent is huge you know it's like that can be all the difference between having just like a really successful hash strain and and having something that's um just not going to work for for being able to sell to consumers so the yields are notoriously tricky to nail like i mentioned with the with the fresh frozen so it's it's uh um yeah it's it's a give and take and and there definitely will always be a place for both of these extracts you know it's it's not not every gram can be 120 dollars um so uh, a large part of this, um, you know, a large part of the reason that, that these extracts are so desired as well is, is like what we mentioned before. Um, these are really, really closer to full plant. So um, every water hash is going to have like a lot more plant compounds. Um, it's it's just, you know, you're beating up the plant. So it's typically in there unless it's just like, you know, really mechanically separated. But all of that kind of adds to that uh, flavor of a real cannabis plant. You know, it adds that kind of full spectrum effect, as as they would say. Yeah, and additionally, this is a connoisseur product that's considered top tier by by most dabbers when it's done correctly. Um, a large part of this is is what we discussed earlier about creating extracts um, that are true to the flavor of a real cannabis plant. So, fresh frozen hash almost always contains significantly more plant compounds, um, which they create a more robust taste and and that like authentic flower taste, and uh, also just that that kind of like hashy flavor that a lot of people just just love it. It has that kind of true um, what, what tastes kind of like full spectrum and, and, and has like a lot of, um, yeah, just really specific flavors. And so it's like, if that's what you're looking for, um, you know, that, that's just what, what you want sometimes. And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, you know, like I said, a a very connoisseur product, but there is all different mediums, um, or all different ranges. And you can definitely find just like, you know, cheap entry level, even just like good quality live rosin for probably 50 or $60, um, you know, retail in the market right now. And, uh, yeah, you know, just do a little research, find some brands that you like, you know, make sure that they're, they're putting out quality material and, and, uh, you know, you can always just go to a dispensary and ask some questions too, if if you need some help. So in the dab community, there exists a massive art culture. Um, these are functional pipes and, and bongs and, and things like that. We, we call them, you know, we call it heady glass. Um, 
This scene was once forced underground by the federal government. Now with legalization of cannabis in some form or another in most of the United States, this art scene has exploded. Um, So if you're unfamiliar with the history, I'll go go into a little bit of the history. Um, The biggest factor in in the heady glass scene was how massively popular dabbing had become pretty much overnight and, and how lucrative making hash oil was before it was common knowledge how. Um, so before legalization was widespread, uh, the pipe and heady glassing was underground and disconnected. Uh, a lot of or these artists were pretty much just making, you know, small hand pipes for just enough money to eat or, or keep making more kind of pipes and bongs and stuff like that. Um, a few of them were, were being successful. You know, one of them was like Scott Depp, um, you know, the founder of Mothership who was always kind of just really pushing the scene and, and having just a lot of, uh, yeah, just really intense kind of a heady glass before it was really a thing. But, um, you know, before that, like really became kind of common, um, they were just kind of disconnected and, and they were selling these, you know, in, in lots of festivals and local smoke shops and to friends and things like that. But eventually some of these artists created an online community to sell and, and having a lot more money for creativity with a larger audience. Um, obviously the internet connected a lot of people. Um, however, this caught the attention of the federal government, which considered these pieces of functional art as paraphernalia. So the DEA quickly mounted a task force and began Operation Pipe Dreams in 2003. So they raided hundreds of businesses and homes, arresting 55 people, the most famous of which was Tommy Chong. He was sentenced to nine months in federal prison. Um, the operation involved more than 2,000 officers and cost the taxpayer $12 million. Um Obviously, a big waste of money um, and just a big kind of setback for this scene. Unfortunately, it, it really put the scene back. You know, a lot of these artists, they lost valuable sources of income. Many went underground and, and were afraid of another like round of arrests. Um, you know, roughly a decade later, the scene had been going strong, like many art forms. The proliferation of social media and Internet access connected the world. Uh, new arts and crafts renaissance began fueled by the connection to consumers directly through social media. Um, you know, obviously this was just kind of all crafts, all arts, you know, it's like with the invention of, of Instagram and, and the ability to kind of connect artists directly with consumers or artists directly with fans and, and that type of thing and just really get their media out there. And, um, you know, it obviously just helped expand a ton of these crafts and, and a ton of, you know, people's ability to just kind of monetize doing what they love and, and kind of created a whole new path for a lot of like young people in general. Um, so with legalization protecting many of these glass blowers in their home state, many came out of hiding and began creating heady glass publicly again, obviously using Instagram as a medium and starting to connect to collectors and and galleries and all these things all across the country. And at the same time, there was a massive boom in the cannabis scene. Um, the knowledge for, for creating dabs was semi-widespread, like it had been starting to kind of get out if, if you were into the scene, but it was still a bit secretive knowledge. You know, it's like if you were a grower, you'd focused on growing, you know, it's that was kind of, um, you know, it's still, still true to this day. It's like, the, the all the credit goes to the farmer and it really comes down to how well the farmer treats the bud, how well the farmer uh, just takes care of all the plants and all this. And so it's like they're typically not extractors as well. You know, it's, it's hard to kind of manage both both of those um, schools of knowledge and not, not saying there aren't plenty that do. There's tons of people that are single source and and they grow and, and either blast or, or wash their own material. Um, so but anyways, um, 
at the time, like I said, it wasn't so widespread. It was still semi-secretive, and, and obviously the average grower wasn't doing anything with it. Um, so it's like they, the average grower of any operation, indoor or outdoor, was basically just throwing away trim. Um, some would convert it into can of butter for edibles, but it was with far and few between. Um, slowly but surely, more and more hash makers, or the more popular name, extract artists, began to learn and experiment with turning this trim into smokable extracts. Um the process itself involved, like I mentioned, using liquid betaine in a pressurized vessel to pass over biomass with a filter to separate the hash oil from the cannabis. Um, then you'd purge the butane from the oily product that was produced. Um, and, uh, you know, this is obviously the basic explanation. But uh, as I mentioned above, the, the fundamentals behind the process remain the same to this day. Um, so as the extract artists began to convert this readily supply of almost free biomass uh, they started to profit tremendously in states where legalization was progressive. Um, these these profits and growing interest in the cannabis community at large with dabs, uh, these extract artists started purchasing high-end functional art. Um, you know, it was, it was a combination of the love for art and, you know, an often lifelong fascination with, with bongs and other functional smoking apparatus. Just like, who doesn't want to smoke out of a dragon, you know, or, or, or whatever. It's like when you first started smoking weed, you, you see some of these really cool water pipes and you're just like, oh, wow, like, um, yeah, I, I love whatever it is you love. You know, it's like maybe you love unicorns or dragons or um, scorpions or, or anything, you know, it's just, there, there's all different types of, you know, glass artists at this point and, and they make all different types of cool, you know, functional smoking pieces that, that maybe speak directly to you. And it's kind of just like who, who doesn't really, you know, love that, um, you know, just that kind of, uh, yeah, just this feel smoking out of something cool. Um, so, also, with these extract artists, it was a way to spend this abundant cash. I mean, we, it's not like you could bank this stuff. Um, it's, it's obviously that there was no banking at this time uh, for, for you know, cannabis money. And so you, you couldn't go out and buy a car. And, and it's, it's, the reality is, you know, pe- people like to, to show off and, and, and buy nice things and, and show that, they, that they've worked hard to, to get things that they, that they love. So it's like, like I mentioned, you couldn't really go buy like a Lamborghini with this or, or really any other, you know, fancy things that, that required like a, you know, a background check or a credit check on where the money came from. But you could just go to one of these artists and give them tens of thousands of dollars. And, uh, you know, they wouldn't ask where it came from. They would just take the cash and, and kind of give you a pipe and, and, uh, yeah, just move from there. So this just became a way for, you know, these extract artists to kind of, sh- to, to show off and, you know, show some stuff that they buy some stuff that they love. And, and it kind of just formed a synergy, you know, it's like as the glass scene and the, the artists were getting more and more requests for orders, it commanded a higher value for unique one of a kind pieces of art. So artists in the past who had to sell like small hand pipes just to survive, they're now getting paid tens of thousands of dollars prepaid for pieces that hadn't even been made yet with a several month or longer waiting list. So it's like, this allowed these these artists to you know to spend a lot more time on their craft and, and explore being creative with their art. You know, it's it's if you're sitting there and you're trying to to eat every day and you need to make you know uh, whatever just something to, to to get some a meal at the end of the day or pay your rent. It's like obviously it's it's a lot more stressful and, and harder to kind of produce and, and focus and, and push yourself. But if people have that confidence in you and, and they see that that you know they love your art and they just kind of want to support it and, and they start to like I mentioned, you know that people were were pre paying for some of these pieces and you know willing to wait months or longer to get them and and that gave these artists time to just like you know make a piece and, and then break it. You know and, and that that happens a lot. Many of the, of the most famous pieces, there's been 
two or three iterations of them in the glassblower's hands before, you know, the third one was released to somebody because of a little tiny flaw or, or imperfection. And some of these pieces have taken these artists, you know, literally dozens, if not hundreds of hours to complete. And so, um, you know, obviously that that's something to be considered too, as well as there's a, there's a rarity to these pieces. You know, it's like to think like if, if you could get paid twenty thirty thousand $30,000 for a piece and you have a waiting list out the door, um, you could really water down the market quickly if you just started hammering them out. So it's like, uh, collectors and, and artists alike, you know, they started to realize and, and form relationships with these artists who are more secretive and, and, you know, like to release their work at, at gallery drops and things like that. And, and don't really have, um, you know, just like a massive client list, you know, they make fewer pieces in the year and the, those pieces are all quality and they all kind of stay. Um, but that's not to be said that that's not to say that there isn't tons of amazing glass that these, you know, that's still in the thousand dollar to $10,000 range. It's like, you don't have to buy a 30 to a hundred thousand dollar, you know, pipe to, to get something that's incredibly heady. Um, like I mentioned, there, there's something that speaks to everybody these days. There's so many glass artists out there and, and all, and a lot of these, you know, guys and, and kids even are, are really pushing this, um, boundary so far. And, um, you know, this is a, a several thousand year old art form and some of these modern borosilicate artists are creating the most technically and artistically profound pieces since the invention of this art. Um, and, and like I said, this isn't just twenty, thirty thousand dollars pieces. It's like you can find some incredible, absolutely incredible works of art for a thousand dollars to 10,000 that are just, will, will speak to you. You know, it's like once you get in this scene and, and you realize just how, how, um, wide and diverse the scene really is and, and how many um, just amazing colors that, that you know, the glass, um, there, there's companies that produce glass color. And, uh, you know, they, they produce absolutely beautiful colors these days that just go with these, you know, amazing themes and, and artists that are just incredibly technically proficient. You know, if, if you like function or if you like art, um, like I said, you, you can find pretty much anything that you like, you know, and, and there's also a huge used pipe market, you know, it's like, if you get into this, you can always find something that you love that, that somebody else is maybe wanting to pass on and, and get it at a good discount. You know, it's like at, at this point, it's definitely a buyer's market for, for some of these older pieces. So it's like, if you feel, if you find an artist that you love and, and, you know, they feel like they're potentially hard to contact or they have like a long waiting list, or it seems like maybe their new pieces are out of your price range. Like, don't be afraid to like search their hashtag on Instagram or, you know, um, just look in Facebook groups or whatever and kind of find these, these artists that, um, or these older pieces that they still need a home. You know, it's like, like I mentioned, there, there's, there's one pipe at least for everybody, or there, there's, you know, mo more people that are going to want heady pipes than, than exist, than, than have ever been made or can be made, um, you know, by these people. So it's like, um, you know, cannabis is definitely going to just continue to proliferate. And, you know, one time, you know, sooner than later, we're going to have federal legalization, I believe. And, you know, at that point, it's, it's only a matter of time before, um, you know, this, this is just much, much more common knowledge about, you know, these artists in this scene and, and really what's going on here. Um, so yeah, you know, that's, that's kind of a bit of the history of just the heady glass range. Um, you know, and like I said, don't be intimidated by these prices. If you're interested in starting to dab, um, these are just, you know, these days the average smoke shop will have like entry level dab, dab rigs with a complete out the door setup for like a hundred dollars or less. Um, another common smoking accessory that, that you see, like I mentioned earlier, are, are these electronic dabbing devices. Um, the most popular brands include a Puffco and a, and a Focus Carta. Um, 
these are they're functional electronic vaporizing devices, and they're they're great for the first time dabbers. Um, they take they take a lot of the guesswork out of the process. Um, these, however, have both pros and cons. Um, the pros being ease of use, and you know the ability to easily use these on the go. It's like you know you could use these at a, I mean. I've seen people use them in concerts, you know, or at least, you know, they, they sneak them in, in their backpack or whatever and or use them in tailgates, like whatever. You know, it's like you can be outside, you could be on a hike, you know, just put it in your backpack. They make little um, like caps for them that, that seal the water in so you can just like pop it open and, and smoke on it on the go and then pop it closed and, it, and just throw it in your backpack and it won't leak or anything. Um, so, yeah, it's like that. that's obviously very, um, you know, those, those are some good pros, but. At the same time, uh, for a connoisseur, um, the cons definitely outweigh the pros. Um, the biggest con, the dab simply isn't as rewarding. Um, the flavor and high, they just do not compare to like a properly timed out dab on quartz. Um, you know, once, once you hit that real dab on quartz, and, and especially if, if you're like a frequent dabber um, and you're doing it regularly, you'd much rather kind of maybe just take a dab before you, you run out the door um, on a hike or whatever, as opposed to, um, you know, bringing that on the hike with you and just kind of uh, having that kind of like more, more powerful, longer lasting, like, I guess more robust effect, you know, so to speak. So that's pretty much, you know, the biggest downside. Um, and, and also they are prone to breaking. Um, you know, anyone that's used a Puffco a fair amount will definitely tell you to like buy an extra atomizer or, or keep one on you if, if you're on a, like if you're going somewhere where you need the Puffco and, and you don't really have any other option anytime soon, um, you definitely don't want to just rely on, on the one that they gave you. Um, it can definitely be like very, very hit or miss. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's, you know, they don't, they don't necessarily have the, the long-term reliability for, for necessarily the price point, but, um, that's, that's for, you know, kind of each individual to, to determine and figure out for yourself. Um, like I said, I, I highly recommend just going to, um, like any smoke shop that, uh, that just seems like it has quality reviews, um, in your area. And then just ask them, you know, for a little bit of help, just getting kind of like an entry level product. Like even if you just want to start dabbing for, like I said, a hundred dollars or less, like you can buy a little $25, $30 torch. Um, you can buy a $20 China banger. Like I said, we, we recommend the American ones, but the China ones, um, you know, if they're made properly, they're, they're not going to hurt you or anything. And, you know, there, there's plenty that are made properly. Um, and you can just get a little, um, you know, China glass rig is, is what they call them. It's just produced in China, but, um, it's, they're, they're, they're fine. They're just little cheap functional rigs. Um, but it, unless it's American glass, just, just be wary. Like the average little, you know, smoke shop that, that sells cigarettes and, and whatever, um, like, you know, in your, in your strip mall type thing, um, those ones are, are going to be overpriced, uh, China rigs. You know, it's like the, those ones are usually like, I would say a hundred dollars or something like that for just like what should be 20 or $30. Um, you know, like I, I know dispensary, um, Hayes in San Jose, for example, you know, they stock China glass, um, you know, just cheap, affordable glass. And I think their, their products are like 20 or $30 for like, um, uh, like just one of their little functional rigs. And then you could buy the quartz for 20. So that's like 50 right there. And then, um, yeah, just buy a torch for 20 or 30 bucks, just like a little small, cheap one. I believe they even sell, um, cheap functional torches at, at, at Hayes too. So, like I mentioned, there's a lot of places that'll just get you out the door for a hundred dollars. Um, and you'll be home dabbing. Um, just like I said, don't forget the carb cap. Um, and you know, make sure you get your little dab tool and, um, you you should be good to go. Um, so yeah, 
that that pretty much sums up what we're going to talk about on the first episode for the Utopia podcast. Um, if you stuck with it this far, I really appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, this is the first episode of many. So if, if you found you know what you heard here interesting, please consider sharing with a friend or, or tuning in on the next episode. Um, I know that this one, if, if you're like a you know connoisseur dabber, th- this might have had a, a little information that maybe seemed redundant to you. But um, yeah, I feel like there's probably plenty of people out there that that could use the introduction to dabbing and. Um, yeah, you know, I appreciate you guys listening and, and I hope to catch you in the future and, uh, look forward. We're going to start doing some utopia live, um, you know, live feeds on the Instagram and we'll be, uh, just, you know, being able to answer questions and stuff like that. It would be with me. Um, also, you know, if you have any questions, you can email me directly. You know, I'm always open to, to just answering cannabis questions from, um, people that are curious to learn more. Um, my utopia is Eden. So that's E D A N at utopiasc.com. Um, again, that's E-D-A-N at utopiasc.com. Um, yeah, feel free to email me there. You can ask me any questions. Um, if you need a recommendation to, to find a place to, to get a dab, dab rig and, and kind of whatever price range or um, just anything like that. You know, you want to learn a little bit more about hydrocarbon. You want to learn more about solventless. Um, I'm always open to it. And, you know, I, I, I look forward to, to hopefully chatting with some of you. So thank you very much. And I hope you guys have a, one, a fantastic day or, or evening whenever you're tuning into this.